morning, I want to talk to you, and after I speak, we're going to go back into a time of ministry, because I really believe that the Holy Spirit has something to impart this morning. Obviously, it's Pentecost Sunday, but not just because it's Pentecost Sunday, because we're a Pentecostal church, and we love the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, um, and this week as I've been preparing and praying for you, I felt like I had a real clear picture and a word to maybe help some of you get a little bit unstuck with something that we're talking through. And so we're in our Live series, unpacking what it means to live in 2021. That's our word for Emerge Church this year. And then we're unpacking each week how that can look and the different ways in which we can live. And so today I want to talk to you about live expecting God opportunities. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, expect a God opportunity? And turn to your second choice and say, expect a God opportunity. (laughs) Awesome. Sometimes I think, and as I was praying through this and praying for you in this service, sometimes I think we can approach opportunity like a set of doors, which is why I've picked that image this morning. An opportunity can feel often like, well, we're just waiting for a door to open. We come to a place and we're like, well, I don't know which door it is. It's, you know, behind door number one is this and behind door number two. And you're like, well, I don't really know because I can't see. And so it feels a bit difficult to kind of grab hold of the opportunities of life that come to you because often we don't know what's on the other side of it. And it can feel a bit confusing and be like, is this a God opportunity? I don't know. And so it can be a little bit confusing. But I felt God give me a really clear picture Not of a set of doors like this, but a set of revolving doors. And revolving doors, when I was a kid, were my most fun things. Obviously, playgrounds, but the after playgrounds, revolving doors were where it was at when I was seven. And uh, I used to love them because it's always a bit like, you know, you've kind of got to pace it right, haven't you? If you don't want to stop the whole thing going round, and then you've got to kind of hop in. And then there's just the fun of just going round. And then, you know, sometimes your mum's gone out, and you're just like still going round. You're like, woohoo, it's awesome. And I had this picture of opportunity as a, as a revolving door, as a giving and receiving. And this morning, that's what I believe God wants to talk to us about, is the opportunities to give and opportunities to receive. Not just a door to walk through, but a revolving sense that God's going to bring you opportunities to give and he's going to give you opportunities to receive. And that that's a constant flow that he wants to do with you for the rest of the year. And so to ground that, we're going to look in Galatians 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. And um, I've been reading through Galatians recently, and it's just a great book. It's written by Paul, if you didn't know. And really, if if you're looking for a good book to read, you know, kind of if you've finished your reading plan or you're not really sure where to start, Galatians is a great book to read. It's like a manifesto for Christian freedom. It's like a playbook for how to live life empowered by the Spirit and how to live a fruitful life in your identity in Christ. And so those are all good things to learn how to do. And if you want to learn that, Galatians is the book for you. And towards the end of Galatians in chapter 6, he's starting to talk about how we live by the Spirit. Often in your little subheading in your Bibles, it will have that heading, how to live by the Spirit. And right at the end of that section is verse 10, and we're going to read that this morning. It says this, therefore, so Paul's been talking about how you live by the Spirit, and then he finishes with this, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And that word opportunity there is the word kairos, which 
most commonly you'd understand means time or season. But in this context, in the way that Paul is phrasing it in this sentence, it actually means something a bit more closer to, to the suitable time, to the right moment, to a favorable time. And I find that really interesting that Paul talks about, you know, it's that, you know, let all of us find the opportune time, the, we, as we have the opportunity, as we have the right time, as we have the suitable time, as it's a favorable time, let's do good to everybody, especially those of the family of faith. And I find that really interesting because when you know the backdrop of the book, I would not call it an opportune time. I would not call it a favorable time, a right time, you know, a good time to be doing this because the book is written into this environment where, so it's not written just to one church, we think it's written to lots of different churches in a region called Galatia. And so in that region, temple um, worship and worship of Rome and the emperor and cult worship was massive. It was the it was the overarching environment that they lived in. So if you were living in that region, you worship the emperor, you worship Rome, and you went and you prayed. And you prayed at the temples, and you prayed for Rome, and you prayed for the emperor. But the Jews in the region, they had kind of written a note to the teacher and said, well, we can't really do that. Can we have a pass out? And the, and the empire said, yes, yes, you can. You, you don't have to participate in the worship in the same way, but you still have to pray for um, the emperor and you still have to pray for the empire. And they were like, okay, we can do that. And so that was what the Jews were able to do. They, they didn't have to go and worship in the temples because they were in their own synagogues. They were praying for Rome and they were praying for the emperor. Now, into this context is where Paul starts to plant churches and Christian churches, people who have come out of Judaism and now recognize Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that presents a problem because they're expected to pray to the emperor. They're expected to pray to Rome and, and they're expected to worship in the temples. Now, the Christians were quite clever. Because they had a Jewish heritage, they said, oh, no, 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 we're part of the Jewish family of faith, so we have a pass out. Look, miss, I have my whole pass. It's okay. I don't need to go to the temple. I don't need to go and sacrifice. I don't need to go and pray to Rome and to the emperor because I'm part of the Jewish family of faith because that's the heritage that they came out of. Now, the Jews were a bit ticked by this because that meant that spotlight was coming back onto them. And so they, were, they disowned them. They were like, we don't know them. I don't know who these people are, but they're not part of us because it was bringing heat onto the Jewish family of faith. And then some people within the church had a, a good or not so good way to solve the problem. They were like, okay, well, we can be Christians, but let's get circumcised. And then that can be our pass into being part of the Jewish religion. And then that's okay because then we can still worship Jesus, but we get the pass that the Jews have got. And then everyone's going to be happy aside from all of the men in the Christian church in Galatia. So, so that's basically what was happening. When you read Galatians, if you understand that, then you understand why there's this big fight about should you be circumcised, should you not, all that kind of stuff. And so into that is where this is written. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as it's the favorable time, the suitable time, the right time, let's do good to all people. Now, I would not call that situation a favorable, suitable time when literally there's external and internal pressures coming from everywhere. Particularly if you are a guy in the Galatian Christian church, it is not a favorable time for you. It is not a good time. It is not suitable because you're being asked to be circumcised way after when you should have been. It says hostility on every front 
And yet Paul still writes, take every opportunity. It's the opportune time. It's the favorable time. It's the right time. It's the suitable time to do good to everybody. And I find that really challenging and encouraging in equal measure. Because every time, Paul says, is the opportune time to do good to all people. And I find that really challenging because every time is the opportune time to do good to all people. And sometimes I think perhaps I can shrink back from opportunities because I think, well, this is not a good time for me. This is not a favorable time. This is not an easy time. This is a difficult time. But Paul challenges me and says, no, every time it's always sowing season. There's always opportunity to do good because God is good. That's who he is. And he is desperate to show his goodness to his children that don't know him yet. And he will use any means necessary, including us, to get that message out to people that he is always good. And so Paul says, it doesn't actually matter what kind of a time you think you're having. Every time is sowing time. Every time is the opportune time. And I think what happens to us And particularly, you know, for me, I know that the external and internal pressures of life unconsciously make me decide now is not a good time. It's a difficult time. I'm going through something. My family's journeying through something. I'm really busy at the minute. Different things are happening. Perhaps it's that it's just not convenient. I just made up a new word. It's not convenient. Perhaps it doesn't really fit into our working day or week Perhaps we don't feel courageous. Perhaps we've asked and asked and asked, and now we feel embarrassed to ask that person to come to church or youth or young adults again. Perhaps we've gone past the point of embarrassment. Perhaps we're busy with life, kids, jobs, families, friends, grandchildren. I know for me, sometimes I get into a habit of just not looking for an opportunity, just not looking, not going into my day with an eye that would say, God, who do you want me to show your love to today? Who can I, who can I bring a step closer to you? Maybe we stop praying to see people how God sees them, because that's a pretty dangerous prayer. When we do that, that changes things. When we ask God, God, give me your heart, show me how you see people. When you do that, God breaks your heart for people. And so when we stop asking for that, then it stops happening in that way. And so we stop expecting to have opportunities. And maybe perhaps like me, sometimes you become a little bit numb, a bit numb to the opportunities that are found in the church and outside of the church. I find it really interesting that Paul says it's the right time to do good to all people, especially those that belong to the family of faith. Sometimes we think about opportunities just as a chance to witness, but I wonder how often the needs within our own family go unmet because we're just not seeing with the eyes that God has given us. We're just not looking for the opportunities to do good to our brothers and our sisters, and so opportunity seems to come along maybe less and less. That's maybe where I am. Maybe you can find yourself somewhere in there this morning. But as I was thinking about this and saying, well, God, what do we do? How do we change that? Because we've all found ourselves there. So if we found ourselves there, then how do we change that? And happily, because it's Pentecost Sunday and just God's very good with his timing. How do we live with an expectation that a door of opportunity is going to swing and revolve for us? We live filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the real simple answer to how we change that, how we change how we're approaching opportunity Holy Spirit was present at creation. He is 
I don't want to say a creative force because a force is not who he is, a personality, he's a person. And he's so creative. If you think that you're not creative, you're really wrong because you're made in the image of God and God is very creative. So it might look different. We're not saying that everyone's a painter or a singer or, you know, a writer, but we're all creative because we're made in his image. And I think it's the Holy Spirit's joy, actually, to create moments of opportunity for us to express who Jesus is to people that don't yet know him yet. I think he loves to do that. I think if we asked him this week, Holy Spirit, would you give me an opportunity? Would you show me an opportunity? I think he'd be like, yes, of course I will. I'd love doing that. I love to create those moments in the supermarket and, you know, in the petrol station and at the school gates. I love doing that. That's my best work. Let's go for this. I think that's that kind of excitement that he would have because he's so desperate to help people take a step closer. And if we come to it thinking, oh, I, just, I just don't know. I, I, do, I don't feel very prepared. I don't feel very bold, all of that kind of stuff. Well, then it's all good. The Holy Spirit is still the answer to that because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit prompts us, that he fills us with courage and boldness. If you read Acts, there were lots of people who were very, very afraid. And then the Holy Spirit filled them and filled them again. And they preached with courage and boldness. When they didn't know what to say, the Holy Spirit gave them words to say. I know so often I've been like, well, I just, I just, I don't know anything about this person. I actually have nothing in common with this person. And I bet the Holy Spirit's like, great, I'll give you the words to say. It's awesome. I'm not short of words. I've got all the words. So I'll just give you the words to say, and we'll just take that opportunity together. The Holy Spirit is the powerhouse of opportunities, and I'm convinced that he loves it. He loves to show us those opportunities. And so I wonder... If we could just, very simply this week, just ask, Holy Spirit, show me an opportunity this week. Just super simple, show me an opportunity. And maybe, you know, if it's feeling a bit overwhelming, don't start with one every day. Just start one a week. If we've not looked for an opportunity last week, Holy Spirit, just show me one opportunity this week. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. And I promise you, he will take care of the rest. Because he really, really wants to show people just how good God is. He really wants to show people just how much Jesus loves them. And I share with you four stories, four giving opportunities that the Holy Spirit led me into in my life. Now, they're not going to look the same as this because opportunities look as unique and as different as we all are in the room. And because he's trying to connect a unique person to a unique person, it won't look the same. But I just thought I'd show you four, four times when I can clearly identify the Holy Spirit led me into an opportunity in the hopes that it will help you be able to maybe recognize what's happening this week. And, um, and you can laugh at me because I did some silly things. All right. First thing is this. Opportunity knocks. And that's a little in-joke for all the UK people who know that that was a good show in the UK. It was an excellent one. But opportunity knocks. So in our house that we lived in in the UK, it was on a really rough street. So we lived right down the bottom, up the top, about six houses up was a crack house. And, uh, and they were very noisy, but only from like 12 till 4 in the morning. Other times they were very, very quiet. And then there was lots of different things happening, and it was all crazy. And a, a lovely lady called Wendy moved in over the street from us. And so Wendy was a little bit crazy. She used to sit out 
in her front yard, wearing not much, in a bikini, in Bolton, in, in British weather. We don't have bikini weather in the UK, all right? Let me just put that there. there was, it was never bikini weather. And so she's there stunning herself, and she'd obviously had a really hard life, you could see. You know, sometimes you just look at somebody and you're like, your face tells me you've had a very difficult life. And so she was loud and noisy, and as an introvert, the opposite of everything that I enjoy in life. And so one day, she came banging on the door. Now, you have to understand, for two introverts in a house, that might as well have been the police, like, ramming the door down with one of those door things. <coughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, who's knocking on our door? Who, what person that I don't know is knocking at my door? So I opened the door, and Wendy's there. She's like, "Aya." I'm like, hey, Wendy. She's like, I need money. And I was like, right. She's like, yeah, I can't pay my bills. And I was like... Okay, so I'm thinking, well, you know, should have budgeted better then, shouldn't you, Wendell? Like, sort your life out. So she's like, I've got no heat, I've got no gas, I've got no electricity, I need money. Because she was on very, very low income, and so it's a terrible thing, but they have a box where you put money in, and then it, like, when your money runs out, it runs out, like, heating turns off for lower income families in the UK. So I was like, oh, okay. So I give her, like, $40, it would be 20 quid in the UK, which is a lot of money at the time for us. So she's like, thanks, and she just ran off. And like, all right, okay. So about four weeks later, bang, 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 bang. She's like, oh yeah. I'm like, hey, Wendy, I need money. And I was like, oh no, like I fed the stray dog. Like, and now it's, it was like, oh no, like this is, I need to put boundaries in and it's really terrible. And so anyway, this happens like over the course of six months. Then eventually I'm like, oh, Wendy, just come in for a cup of tea. And so she comes in and we start talking and, Let's have a chat about, you know, her life. And she's had 18 miscarriages. 18 miscarriages. She had, um, I think, 10 children and six of them died. And just, just, just horrific, horrific. So then I'm feeling terrible because I was mean to her in my head at the start. So then, we're, you know, we're talking and, and, and we're having this conversation that happens over about a year and a half. And then, and then she's like, you, where do you go every Sunday? And I'm like, oh, we go to church, Wendy. She's like, oh. Right, off she goes. The conversation would just stop really abruptly. And um, right, right, right. And then yeah, she'd come around and we'd give her a meal and different things. And then she came around one day and she was like, have you got a Bible? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so I was like, all right, I'll give her the message because, you know, it's like really conversational language. And so I made up this nice little pack with like a bath bomb and like really cute things and the message. And I was like, Wendy, have a nice bath, like with your hot water that you've got because we've given you money and like sit in it and read the Bible and it's going to be all good and lovely. And, um, and then <laughs> she comes back like in her towel. So she's been in the bath. So she's in her towel, turban on her head, bangs on the door. She's like, I can't read this. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, I need a King James version. And I'm like, all right. Because like, she grew up on King James. So she's like, what's this saying? I don't know. So there's me thinking I know best about how to reach people. And she's like, nah, I want the King James. I'm like, okay, okay. So, so I give her the King James version. And over the course of about another six months, as Wendy comes into our house and just has food and takes money and does all different things and all that kind of stuff, able to lead her to Jesus in, a, in her house and just have that moment where she kind of got to it. And then, so I've just led her to Jesus. I'm like, I have this lovely moment with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, God, you're so gracious. I'm just really not good at this. And you just, you just took care of it all. And um, then she was like, 
I like your earrings, which I'd just been given because we were about to come to Australia and they were a gift and I really liked them, right? She's like, I love your earrings. I'm like, thanks, Wendy. They are really nice, aren't they? Like, and she's like, can I have them? And I was like, oh, and the Holy Spirit was like, Julie, it's a pair of earrings. You don't care about them. Just give them to Wendy. It will mean the world to her. So I'm like, yeah, of course you can. Here's my earrings. And so it just makes me smile that Wendy somewhere in the UK has got this really nice pair of earrings that the Holy Spirit told me to give her. But the opportunity knocks. Sometimes it comes very loudly, inconveniently, not the way we want it, crossing all kinds of boundaries that you have. That's how it comes. It's not convenient. Took time. Took a long time. Took about a year and a half. Opportunity knocks. Second thing, opportunity praise. I was um, in the waiting room recently after a procedure that I just had. So I just come out from general anesthetic. And uh, I sat in this chair feeling really woozy. And they had this lovely fruit platter and sandwiches next to me that I really, really wanted to eat and a good cup of tea. And I was like, I really want to eat that, but I can't because I feel really sick. And this lady came over who was there to look after us all after we'd just come out of anesthetic. And she was like, oh, how are you doing? I was like, oh, I feel really sick. It's gross. And then, and then, you know, she's like sorting all my levels and everything. And she was like, oh, what do you do for a living? So I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. Which normally, one or two things happens. They either go, oh, that's interesting, and then go away and come back, which is what happened here. Or they go, oh, and then they go away and just don't come back. <laughs> that's just, that's the two things that happens. So she goes, oh, and goes away. And then she comes back like 10 minutes later while I'm still feeling really, really sick. And she's like... What do you think about forgiveness? And I was like, so internally, I'm like, really, God? I feel really sick right now. And I'm just, this is not a good time for me. Thank you. I would, can we just not? And so, so I'm like, so I was like, Jesus, when I look at how Jesus has conversations, he always answers a question with a question. Because if you do that, then you find out what that person thinks before you come in with your opinion. So she's like, what do you think about forgiveness? I'm like, what do you think about forgiveness? I'm trying not to be sick on her. And so then she goes through this whole story of her son and this father who's just been really absent. And, you know, she's done done this work about not transferring her own hurt onto the son and really, really good. And she's like, but, you know, he really needs to forgive. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, he actually does. And then we talked about how unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and then hoping the other person dies. And and she's like, that's a great way to look at it. So I had this nice little conversation. And then at the end, I was like, can I pray for you and your son? She was like, yeah. Yeah, why not? So I was like, you know, asked his name and we just had very quick, 30 seconds. Thank you for him. Thank you. You've got a good plan and a future for him. God, we pray that you help him just to release his unforgiveness. That's going to really help him. Pray you bless him. Give him a hope and a future in Jesus' name. Amen. She's like, amen. And I'm like, Bleh, like, <laughs> sick into a bag. She's like, oh, there, there. Like, really nice. And I've seen my mum do this, not in this situation, but opportunity praise. If you ask somebody, if you ask the person that's coming and bringing you your coffee in your coffee shop, and at the end, you just say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? I've watched my mum do this. It must be hundreds of times. Not once has somebody said no. 
They've always said yes. And they ask for the same things that you and I ask for. They ask for finances, they ask for their friends, their family, their health, their businesses. The same concerns that we have, they have. And then you just say, well, just to pray with them very quickly, not weird, like, you know, Jason doesn't appear with his guitar in the background. <laughs> like, that'd be nice because the atmosphere is good. But we just really naturally and normally opportunity praise. And so it's just something, a good question you can ask. Hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? Our rental agent came round and she'd done the house and different things like that. And just at the end, I was like, hey, is there anything we can pray for you about in your job and your business? And she's like, oh, yeah, there's this person and blah, blah, blah. If you ask people if they want prayer, most of the time they're going to say yes. And it's just that step closer. Opportunity praise. Second or third thing is this opportunity obeys. When I was in university, one of my jobs that I had when I came back on study leave was I worked in an old people's nursing home. So it was really early mornings, very late nights, and very, very difficult work. Anybody who's worked in a nursing home will know that. So I, and I was late all the time back then. So I was like rushing out the house. It must have been half past five in the morning. Not even a Christian at that time in the morning. So just really grumpy and cranky with the whole world. So I'm rushing out of the house. I'm walking up to the bus stop. And God very clearly says to me, I want you to go back and get your Bible. And I was like, really? Because this is in the days before phones with apps and Bible on your phone. So I was like, really? And he was like, yep. And I was like, I'm going to be late for my bus. And he's like, you won't. Go back and get your Bible. So I was like, fine. So I like walked back to my house, picked my Bible up, got it with me, read it on the bus. Because I thought I was going to get this amazing revelation about something. Because I was just in Bible college. I was like, I'm going to get this fresh revelation. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to change the world with it. I read it. Nothing. I feel nothing. I'm like, great, nice, wonderful. What was all that about? I'm about five hours into my shift and I'm looking after this lady. And uh, she says to me, Julie, I'm really tired. And I was like, oh, okay, we'll, like, we'll take, your, take your pillow away and we'll lower your bed. And she's like, no, 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 I'm tired of living. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not prepared for this. Like, I was not ready for this moment. Like, this is inconvenient. And she's like, I just really want to hear the 23rd Psalm. I was like, oh, of course you do. So I went to my locker, got my Bible out, read the 23rd Psalm. And then we read some more and she told me her favorite Psalms and that her mum had read to her when she was a little girl and she walked away from Jesus. And she was like, "Today, that day, she said she wanted to be back in relationship with Jesus. She knew she wasn't right. She needed to get back in relationship. So I led her through a prayer. That was that. Two days later, I go back in for my shift and she's died. She's in the presence of Jesus. And that was so sobering because I was like, because I couldn't have remembered all those psalms because I'm not that good. And I was like, goodness me, if I'd have just been stubborn and been like, no, I'm not going back, like what would have happened? And I'm sure God would have worked it around another way, but I got the privilege of being part of that moment because opportunity obeys. Last thing on this bit, opportunity says. So recently, we're in hospital in a bit at the minute, so I was in this room, right, in the most undignified position you can think of, all right? So all the, all the ladies will know what I'm talking about. The most undignified, right? This lady comes in, and she's like, hi. And I'm like, hi, thinking, I don't really want to talk to you because legs are kimbo. It's, it's just all terrible, very undignified. She's like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm like, oh, we can't go anywhere because you're about to do the procedure. And I was like, I'm a pastor. And she's like, are you really? And I was like, yes, yes, I am. And so then we had this conversation. 
and it's just a really normal conversation and she was telling me about her life and I was like she says was that how did you end up in Australia so we have this 20 minute conversation before the procedure happens while I'm in an undignified position and let me tell you that was inconvenient was very inconvenient. I would not have said this was a favorable time, this was an opportune time, this was a suitable time. It was none of those things. It was not a good time. And yet, I remember the Holy Spirit just being like, Julie, this is the time. This is her time. She needs to ask these questions. And I would love to say that, you know, I led her to Christ. No, I didn't. But we had this conversation and she just had, she was a step closer because she understood a little bit more about how God loved her and how his plan was going to work out for her life and how God wasn't mad with her. And it was just, it was just this little conversation, opportunity says. So this week I want you to th- think about those four things, opportunity knocks, prays, obeys and says. Say, Holy Spirit, help me, help me to see the opportunity to give. Help me to see the opportunity to give. And not one of those, I would have said, was a suitable, favorable, or right time. Most of them, I would have said, were downright inconvenient to me and my wants and my needs and my plans. And yet the Holy Spirit thought, these are actually great times. And he wants to get his kids a step closer to Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants his children to come more into a relationship with Jesus. He wants them to find Jesus. And he wants to use you to help them find Jesus. The other side to this, we talked about the opportunity to give. Just as I close, we're going to think about the opportunity to receive. And the best um, story that I could think to illustrate this is in Acts 3, just after the day of Pentecost, and we're not going to read it for time, but there's this story that we talked about recently with Peter and John going to the gate beautiful. And, and there's this beggar there, and, and he's asking, and he's asking everybody, and he's looking everywhere. And there's, there's two things that I want to pull out from this. One, that it says in God's word that he gave them his attention. When Peter and John said, look at us, the man gave them his attention. And then we have these amazing words where Peter and John say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And it's this amazing picture of the opportunity to give and receive, that revolving door that happens in this moment. It's the two sides of opportunity, that this guy would come and say, I don't have anything to give. I'm literally begging for stuff. I don't have anything to give in this moment. I bring nothing to the table. And yet, the Bible tells us he did have something to give. He had his attention to give. When it says he gave them his attention. That's what he had to give in that moment. And there's a two-way nature of miracles, I think, that come when we're asking the Holy Spirit for opportunities, that sometimes for us, when we need to receive, we can come to the table and think, I don't have anything to give, but I'm going to list off a few stories. I'm going to show you, you've always got something to give. Even when you feel like you're in lack, even when you feel like you don't have something to give, you absolutely do. The woman with the issue of blood, she looks like she doesn't have anything to give. But what she brings to the table in that moment is courage and desperation. She takes her opportunity and she receives her healing. The widow with the little oil and flour with Elijah, all she has to give in that moment is literally everything that she has and her obedience. She's told, make me a cake of bread and I will eat it. I would have been like, no, go away. Me and my son are going to eat this and die. I just would have said flat out no. And yet she brings her obedience and everything that she has takes the opportunity and then it doesn't run out until the rain comes. Jairus. 
in that moment where he's wanting Jesus to come and he's been stopped, all he's got to offer in that moment is his patience and his persistence. He could have turned around and been like, well, she's dead now. I'm not, I'm not, don't bother. Like, and everyone around him said, don't bother the teacher anymore. But he had his patience and his persistence. And he seized the moment after the opportune time. After we would say this is the right and suitable time for Jesus to come. He still pressed in for his moment and he received his daughter back from the dead. Peter, all he's got right at the start is his friendship with Jesus when his mum is ill, his mother-in-law. And so all he's got is his friendship with Jesus. And yet that's the thing that he brings to the table. And he takes Jesus to his house. And his mom, mother-in-law receives her healing. And they all get a meal because that's just what mother-in-laws do. They're great. They're like, I'm healed. Great. Let's put the kettle on. Like, sort you all out. The temple guard at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's all, you would say he's got no ear. He's got nothing going on for him. But he's got his humility in that moment. As Jesus stoops down to pick his ear up and tries to put it back on his head. He could have been like, who are you? I've come to arrest you. Don't touch me, blah, blah, blah. But he has humility. He stays still and allows Jesus to heal him in that moment. And his willingness to be touched by the very person he was there to arrest means that it became his opportune time. And he lived the rest of his life hearing and with two ears. The mother in Canaan pesters Jesus. And she comes up to him and she's like, you're talking about her daughter that needs help. And all she's got, she didn't have anything. She's got no social standing. She's got no right to talk to Jesus. She's not even a Jew. Jesus himself says, I'm not here for you. And yet her wit and her persistence and cheekiness and boldness actually open up that opportunity. Because she doesn't take no for an answer. And she pulls out this miracle from Jesus. And her daughter receives her healing. In the natural all of those people came with nothing. I wonder if the band could join me. It looks like they've got nothing in those scenarios. They don't come with confidence. They don't come with an assurance. They don't come with like, I know that this is going to happen. They come with the little bit that they've got. And even the little, when they put it in the hands of Jesus, is enough to fulfill their need. They took the opportunity. When you give what you've got, you get what you need. When you give what you've got, you get what you need. And I wonder this morning, as we're thinking about opportunity as this revolving door, opportunities to give, opportunities to receive, I wonder what it is that you need this morning. What do you need? Do you need courage and boldness? Do you need persistence? Do you need faith? Do you need hope? Do you need strength to endure? What do you need this morning? And it might feel like you're coming with absolutely nothing to give, but I promise you, you've got something in your hand. Like God said to Moses, what's in your hand? And I wonder if you'd stand with me and close your eyes as we're going to go into a time of ministry. I really believe this morning that the Holy Spirit wants to give because he loves to do that. We need to be in a posture to receive. When you give what you've got, you get what you need. When you give what you've got, you get what you need. So this week, when you're thinking about the opportunities and you're saying, Holy Spirit, help me. 
I don't feel like I have anything to give. I don't feel like I've got the words to say. This morning, the Holy Spirit wants to come and fill you. He wants to come and fill you afresh. He wants to come and breathe on you again. He wants to come and fan into flame the gift that's in you. He wants to come and breathe on dry bones. He wants to come and breathe the breath of life into dead situations. He wants to come and breathe on you. Because when you give what you've got, you get what you need. So I wonder this morning, what is it that you've got? What is it that you've got in your hand? What little do you have? Do you have obedience to step forward? Do you have courage to come to the front? Do you have the desperation to say, Jesus, I've asked for this a hundred times, but I'm coming and I'm asking again, what is it that you have in your hand this morning? Do you just have a tenuous hope that God might be all that he says he is? Have you got a little bit of faith, a mustard seed sized faith that says uh, the, the situation looks incredibly big, but God, I've got a tiny bit of faith that you can come through. That's enough. It's enough this morning for you to give what you've got and get what you need. Says the band.